This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, your source for Star Wars and political news and analysis from our nation's very own hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Suara Sala, and this week we have two very special guest co-hosts, Steel Saunders of the Steel Wars podcast of the Making Star Wars Podcast Network, and Mark Eldridge of the Jedi Archives podcast in 1138. How are you two doing today? I'm... Happy to be on a podcast where people can't complain about talking about Star Wars and politics. It's a, it's a rare, it's a rare bubble because you know, like a, a lot of other podcasts get complaints about just talk to Star Wars, just talk about the lasers. <laughs> so uh, I, I feel like I'm free of those um, those complaints in in your warm embrace on iTunes. Steel, we warmly, warmly embrace you here. Like, go on all of your political rants. It is welcomed, is embraced. We encourage it. As long as, you know, we're respectful and we hear each other out, that's all that matters. And thank you so much for your kind words. I heartily appreciate that. That's what uh, Stephen and I aim to do on this podcast, have uh, open and frank discussions. And I'm glad to have you on. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm I'm great. I'm very I'm very excited and privileged to be here. Um, I always find it amazing when people say, "Oh, you shouldn't talk about politics," and you know, just keep it to Star Wars. Keep it to Star Wars, as if you can actually tell a story that has a war in it without politics. It's kind of impossible, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, what is war but the last option when you can't uh, have any more political discussions about the issues? And this week, we will be discussing the in-universe issue of the Jedi Order and their role as galactic peacekeepers. We're going to be talking about how effective they were overall, whether there are any parallels with real-world peacekeeping forces uh, currently or once active in our own world. And it should be a really good discussion. But first off, we have a lot of Star Wars news to discuss. So... We've got some more uh, stuff going on with the Han Solo film. Unfortunately, they lost uh, the Wire actor Michael K. Williams during the reshoot. Um, I recall that he said that um, he just didn't have the time, there was a scheduling conflict, and apparently he was going to have, this is slightly spoilerish by the way, but he was going to have a key role introducing Han to Amelia Clark's character. So. Yeah, Steele, uh, what did you make of this news? Um, I don't know. I don't really have a connection with Michael K. Williams. I know my friend Emily was very upset because she was a fan of him from The Wire. But so I'm, I'm sort of like a guy I don't really know is not in the film anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, I'm moving on with my day. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it does show, like, you know, people... You know, sometimes the the Homer Star Wars fans, they like to, like with the reshoots and stuff, they're like, oh, every film has reshoots. And, you know, when, when you're losing an actor, like obviously, you know, what, what has happened with 
the Han Solo film is is way it's it's way you know it's not it's not a a bump on the on the road to filmmaking like many other bumps in the road to filmmaking it's you know when when the the, the filming has to be extended that you lose uh, like uh you know one of the top 10 cast members it's uh it's not it's not all as smooth as uh ron howard's instagram might uh lean towards yeah i agree it's like for me it's really how is this thing still going to come out in May? I really don't understand. It's like, now I just want to iterate as I have in the past, I have all the faith possible in Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy and the producers to make the right decisions. And I believe generally they are, but I just, it just doesn't compute to me how this can still come out in May. Um, Mark, I think you and I were discussing this on Twitter the other day, right? Like whether it's still going to have a release date. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I would, the, the fact that, they have um, let him go from the film and apparently just cut the part. Like they haven't even recast it. It's that that role is no longer in the film. Um, That implies to me that they are set on this date. They're not going to extend extra reshoots in order to get him in it. Um, And I would, I mean, it also implies to me that the role can't have been that crucial to the story if they can so easily write it out at this stage. But, I would still put, if I had to put money on it, I would still say this will be out in May. I think that Ron Howard is an incredibly prolific filmmaker. If you look at his, I was looking at IMDb today and it pretty much had a film every year for the last 20 odd years. I mean, he's very efficient at getting these things done. Right. And the other side is I can't imagine, I mean, who knows, right? Rogue One was having reshoots six months before the release date, and that was a huge... That that film, the, the scale of it was enormous. There were so many planets. There were space battles. There were ground battles. I would assume that this film will not be as big in its visual scale. There will not need to be as much post-production work, and they've still got nine months. So as it stands, I would still put money on us having it in May. So that's a very valid point in comparing it to Rogue One, because with Rogue One, we had a trailer about approximately about a year before the film, but so much of what was in that trailer we didn't see in Rogue One, actually. And um, I guess that the only difference with the Han Solo film is that we don't have this trailer. But Steele, what do you think? Uh, well, one thing about the, the film staying on path for May is just the, the huge mechanism behind the film. It's not just the film coming out. It's the, the all the products and, and, and all that sort of stuff that's, like, already in, like, pre-production. Like, all the, you know, the Hasbro figures and, and, and the clothing and, and whatever food tie-in there's going to be. Like, it's all set to that time frame. Um, I, I remember, was it the – what was it with the, the, the 3D – release and it got pushed back or something and all these Hasbro figures came out sort of based around the 3D release with no 3D film uh, and it kind of know, like Avatar was it <laughs> Oh no 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 sorry it was sorry it, no it was it was the Phantom Menace and oh, I think maybe Oh yeah yeah like it got pushed back or something and it, it like the the figures didn't align with the the release or whatever but yeah what i'm trying to say is there's a, a huge 
bit of uh, merchandising and promotional synergy that's involved with um, a Star Wars film. And you're not just putting a film in the cinema, you know, a few months later, you are altering all these timelines and all this product and, and just stuff like, like you can say, all right, well, we could just hold up that product for five months, six months. And it's like, well, you've got to pay to store it somewhere. Um, that's then going to bump the, the, like the product releases of what you had for the rest of the year. Like it's a giant tidal wave of issues because Star Wars is, it's more than a film. Right. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a multimedia, um, product release. Totally. So I, I, I think, of, of course, they, they would, I think, would like to uh, have more time. Who wouldn't want more time to do stuff? Yeah, totally. But yeah. I, I, I think from – I'm not sure if there's like some sort of we don't want to also – like we said it's coming out this time. We're making it come out this time. Like I'm not sure if this is like a Kathleen Kennedy just like, hey, we said May. Film comes out in May. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got all the the product, the, you know, the the books, the comics. Well, not that the comics matter that much because they don't <laughs> seem to come tied in with it anyway. Yeah. But um, you know, there is a big, um, you know, there's there's billions of dollars of money to be made not involved with selling tickets at the cinema. It's right. all the other stuff. Right. You know, we're 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 a couple of days out from Force Friday. Yeah, exactly. It's going to queue up at midnight to spend their money. Yeah. Um, That's a very good point about the marketing and the merchandising, which I actually hadn't really considered in regards to the Han Solo film. So, yeah, it seems like uh, things are out of synergy, out of order there. But speaking of marketing and merchandising, we got two new vehicles released for The Last Jedi. (laughs) We got the Dreadnought Warship and the ATM-6 Walker, which, okay, so I just want to say, for those complaining about this, oh, this looks like the same, this looks like the Empire, this looks, this isn't the First Order. First off, we have, uh, by the way, um, Justin, um, Justin Bolger, uh, Star Wars social media uh, manager, he brilliantly tweeted out sarcastically, oh, I wish we in the U.S. changed our warships like from 50 <laughs> years or 80 years before to today because this is what countries do, guys. Like, they have the same models like for their paramil- huge military operations and honestly, like, these are a natural evolution in my opinion. Like, for example, the Dreadnought warship looks amazing. Yes, it looks like pizza, but it also looks amazing. And the ATM6 Walker looks like it's uh, getting rid of the things that got the old AT-ATs to fall down and stuff. Sorry, guys. I'm just like, I'm just like so excited about this. Like, uh, I don't know. How, what, how are you guys feeling about these new uh, like uh, ships and stuff? I didn't realize Justin's tweet was about that i thought he was just getting into like navy fandom that's that's <laughs> like really you've blown my mind it was it was such a subtle reference i didn't pick up on that so hats off to everyone on that one exactly i mean i have to say that i was one of the people who was being very snotty about it and i was being oh this is you know imagine you know walking into the design room with doug chang and saying i'll oh, just do the empire stuff but eviler again and i sort of immediately felt a bit bad about that because i thought i'd be really sort of stupid here because there's an in-universe explanation for the First Order having its ships. They're trying to recapture an image of what the Empire was, right? And that those images, the Stormtroopers, the Star Destroyers, the Walkers, 
they are symbols of fear. And so it would completely make sense that they would want to recapture that. Yeah. Um, you know, that on the other side of it, it's not as if we're not getting new designs in this film. I mean, the, on the resistance side of it, we've seen speeders and bombers. We've seen all this fantastic stuff on Canto Bite. So it's not as if Ryan Johnson is purely playing for nostalgia by doing this. It just happens to be that there is a good in-universe reason that the First Order would want to uh, recapture those images. So, yeah, I was very silly about it, and I immediately regretted it, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> oh, you weren't too silly, man. I mean, like, I can understand, like, uh, because it isn't it isn't the real world. It's Star Wars. It's fiction. It's, like, an exciting film that we're, like, about to consume, and, you know, people do want to see, quote, new stuff, but... I, you know, I love what you said right there. It completely makes sense for what the First Order is and what they're trying to do and what the, whom they're inspired by. And I think it'll just be, yeah, it'll be really great like there. I, I find, like, the, the Dreadnought, it's like a ship in space. So how much design changes are you really going to go for over time? Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, totally. I, the, 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 the AT-AT or the AT-A6 or whatever it's called, the the mega turbo superconductor thingy thingy. Um, someone, yeah, I have to learn that cause it is an amazing word. It's, um, I was saying on my podcast the other day that that's going to be my firstborn child's first name. <laughs> I, I can accept criticism about the ad ad because mm-hmm. like we're not in a vacuum. We, we just saw, um, rogue one last year. And that had another AT-AT remix. And then this is, like, it's sort of, I don't know. I, I It's, you're draining the AT-ATs. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> draining the AT-ATs. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think it's acceptable to go, well, the last film, you went back in time with the AT-AT, and now you're going in the future, you just put a laser gun. And, it, you know, it's going to be sort of cool, but I think, like, I, like at the end of the day, I don't really care. I'm not going to lose mm-hmm. any sleep over it. It, it's how it's used in the film. Totally. That, 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 that is what interests me. And like, but I, I do accept, I, I think it is open for criticism when you've got two back-to-back films with remixes on, on the ad ad. I'm, I'm a lot more excited about this because I want to see a walk like that. That's, that's of interest to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of reused vehicles, you know, some of them, it, and it's hard to weigh it up. Like, a, like give me, I can't get enough X-wings, blue X-wing, black X-wing. Yeah. Awesome. All the colors. Yeah. Yeah. They've got A-wings in the last Jedi. And, and that to me is of interest because I, you know, in return of the Jedi, you don't really get to see him fly that much. Like, you don't get to see him, like, in action. Yeah, you just see the so, one guy crash into that uh, one Star Destroyer bridge. Yeah, I want to see him whip around. Give me, I want to know what this A-Wing's all about. Why would you get in an A-Wing instead of an X-Wing? I'm excited about that. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be amazing, but, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think people that, like, want to be critical of it, like, it's fine. If, 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 yeah. if they, you know, feel like... You know, there's too many adats going on. Then um, that's how they feel. Like, I'm sort of just on the fence, and, and it's how they use them. Um, like it has to be 
you know, like you have to say that looking at that scene, it does look very Empire Strikes Backish. It's oh, yeah, like totally. you're on, you're on snow. You've got this, you know, like speeder type thing going towards some adats. So we haven't seen them interact yet, and that interaction, you know, kind of should be really quite different to mm-hmm. Fire Strikes Back. So Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I just want to say I absolutely as well uh, encourage healthy criticism you know, to make sure that, you know, I love The Force Awakens. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And But I do understand the criticism people have of it for being very similar to A New Hope. I argue that it's an homage, but I think it is absolutely a fair criticism to say, oh, it was based off the main, some of the main plot points of A New Hope. And Mm. I know that for The Last Jedi to be successful critically and commercially, it does have to be its own distinct thing. And I genuinely don't believe that Ryan Johnson is, you know, making a carbon copy or even an homage even of uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. But if he did, I would consider that a um, bad step in terms of how the fandom feels. And, you know, yeah, that one scene that we saw in the trailer was very similar to the Battle of Hoth. So, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, it's just like, it's just cool visually. It's cool in terms of how it's used. You're right, Steel. It's exactly about how it's used that's ma- that matters most. And, you know, I- I'm still excited. I think it's going to be like a really uh, great spectacle to behold. Okay, so now we are going to move on to our main topic, the Jedi as a peacekeeping force. You know, we hear in A New Hope, Obi-Wan, Kenobi first say, you know, the Jedi were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic, before the Dark Times, before the Empire. We hear Mace Windu in Attack of the Clones say, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. But then they become generals in that very same film. (laughs) Um... So I'm just curious for both of you, what was your conception of the Jedi in the Old Republic before you had seen The Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones? Um, although, Mark, I think for you, Phantom Menace was your first Star Wars film, correct? It, it wasn't quite. I I would only been a Star Wars fan for about a year before The Phantom Menace came out. So I'd only seen A New Hope about a year before. So although I was a fan, I didn't have a very set image in my mind of what the Jedi would be because immediately as I was a fan, the the first Phantom Menace teaser was there and I was sort of waiting to find out the story rather than building a picture of it in my head. So for me, the prequel Jedi are what the Jedi have always been. And during, you know, while I was watching the prequel trilogy and, and growing up watching these these films, the idea that the Jedi had, however you want to put it, lost their way, betrayed their principles, however you want to, to argue that, I think that it's a subtle subtextual thing in those films. I don't think it is um, explicit. I don't think it really became an explicit story point until the Clone Wars, actually. And I think it was the Clone Wars that almost codified a lot of that and actually told stories where Jedi would get into discussions about that. Should we be fighting this war? Yoda would express concerns about them losing their way. And the politics of the Jedi Order, in retrospect, you can see the issue with it in the prequel trilogy. But at the time, almost like almost like the Jedi themselves, I didn't really notice what was going wrong for them. So it wasn't a big shift in my point of view of what they were. It was only when we got to the Clone Wars that I started to think, oh, actually, I can see what what people are saying there, that this is maybe not what they expected of the Jedi. Right, right. Steel, what about you? 
I I think it's interesting that how like Mark just saw Star Wars and then saw The Phantom Menace like a year apart because even if you watch the films in the release order, it's it's that time between the films to like dwell. It, it, it sort of it really cements like some things that are hard to get your head around once you like find out more about Star Wars. And that, that's why these, you know, these going back in time films are so, you know, Han Solo, it's so can be dicey because we've all built up in our head. Like what happens? Like if they do the Kessel run, which I hope they don't, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like the most obvious thing you could possibly do. Like it, it there's nothing more. Yeah, there's, there's nothing more obvious. Yeah. Um, but we've all had all these years from whenever we first saw Star Wars to imagine what, what that's all about. But I, the one, I think one of the main things about what I didn't expect from the Jedi was I didn't expect they were all going to dress like hermits on Tatooine. <laughs> I thought they were going to be rocking like – I thought Luke Skywalker's sweet outfit in Return of the Jedi, I thought that was Jedi outfit. I thought that's how Jedi's got about, which is pretty tight. Right. I don't like the, what, the monk thing. It's like, ugh, you can keep that. <laughs> but, but that black outfit with, like, the hood, woof, that was, that, was, that was a tight outfit. So I, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, the, 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 the whole peacekeeper thing, it's it's sort of see added like weird rules. It's sort of interesting, but I, I, I think like the kid in you just like, so the Jedi do what they want. The Jedi's, <laughs> they know what to do. Whatever they think is right. Like it's right. like in like civil war, the, the captain America, like where they have to sign that, that accord thing that the superheroes don't get to do what they want when they want. Yeah. Like, like in reality, I guess that's a, good idea if you're a human and you're scared by the superheroes but when you're watching the superhero film it's just like are you kidding captain america let him do what he wants (laughs) Mm -hmm. and 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 that's the sort of same with the jedi it's like you know don't don't hold back obi-wan kenobi or qui-gon jinn you know they don't they know what's up that's really interesting how you bring up qui-gon because as we see in the phantom menace he is really a renegade in the Jedi Order. He follows so many of his instincts. Um, He rescues Jar Jar, even though people consider him a, quote, lesser life form. He um, tries to have Anakin trained, even though he's nine years old. Um, And, yeah, Mark, I know Qui-Gon is your favorite Star Wars character, Mm. so um, what was it like for you seeing him, like, rebel against this strict monastic order? Well, you see, Qui-Gon is, is what I sort of imagined the ideal Jedi to be. And those things that you mentioned, particularly rescuing Jar Jar, actually, is, you know, if you follow that story through, that's actually the thing that wins the war. That's actually the thing that saves everyone, because if Jar Jar hadn't been there, he wouldn't have had that conversation with the Queen. They wouldn't have brought the Naboo and the Gungans together. Oh, right. So it's through that moment of compassion and empathy, just saving this little guy that no one else is interested in that is what actually brings everyone together. And for me, that's what a Jedi should be doing. They shouldn't be there to fight the war on behalf of this side or that side. They should be offering wisdom and guidance and looking at 
things in a wider, more empathetic way than than everyone else is. And so, to me, Qui Gon is right about a lot of things and sees a lot of things that I think the Jedi Council do not. Because and it's funny what Steele said about you know just let the Jedi be Jedi, let them do what they think is right. They shouldn't have to be like you know Captain America signing up to this accord. And I think that becomes a, a story point. They've tied themselves politically to this Senate that is corrupt, right. and they know it's corrupt, and they're there to, you know, it's the very idea in The Phantom Menace, they're sent to sort out a trade dispute, and the Chancellor sends them to do it, acting, according to the novelization, a little bit outside of his authority to do so, because it's meant to, they're only meant to act where the Senate have said they can. And so they can't make their own value judgments on it. But we know the Senate is corrupt. The Trade Federation have got a seat in there. They are as powerful as any other planet. And so I think that that is actually a story point, that they shouldn't still be working for this organization in the way that they are. Yeah, the Senate and the Republic, as Stephen and I have discussed before, increasingly became corroded over the centuries, as many governments and democracies do, unfortunately, with special interests, with so much, you know, we had an episode, our first parter on money and politics, and how that can affect the political discourse and what the centralized government is going to be focusing on. And you would imagine that it should have its own uh, sort of... um, specialized peacekeeping or peacekeeping force or army mm-hmm. to deal with these sort of issues. But as we learn in the, uh, as we learn in attack of the clones, the Republic did not have its own army. Um, I don't under, I never understood really why it wouldn't have its own, at least stabilized, uh, peacekeeping force in the first place. You know, I understood before that it's, Basically, the Republic encompasses most of the known galaxy, and thus it wouldn't. The only thing it would have to deal with are something like marauders or pirates, not like another entire galactic government trying to attack them, unless it's the use Han Vong, like the thorough legends that reference in there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it's like, why wouldn't, in your view, the Republic have its own army in the first place? Well, I mean, I would think that, I mean, the logical answer to that is that they've never needed one. But what I'm interested in there is how this situation got to be where it was that the Jedi were the ones that were acting as the Republic's peacekeepers and not a separate army. And I can only imagine there have been very sort of vague references to this. And actually, Pablo Hidalgo's propaganda book is a fantastic source of a little bit of galactic history. Mm -hmm. And there is a section in there that sort of sums up what happened a thousand years ago. That there had been this war, there had been this Sith Empire, the galaxy had been torn apart, and finally the Jedi had overcome them. And you can only imagine that at that point the Republic was a very pure, very idealistic, optimistic thing. And the Jedi probably thought that was the best way to put their philosophy into practice, right? The Jedi are meant to be all about harmony amongst living beings and guiding and advising people to live harmoniously together. That's what the light side is. It's opposed to the dark side, which is all about control and domination. So at the time, it probably seemed like a good move for them to assume that mantle and say, we will be the ones that will keep the peace. We will use our wisdom and our insight to, to do that. The problem is, over the centuries, that optimism faded away and it did decay. It did decay from the inside. It became inward looking. 
it wasn't interested in what was going on in the outer rim. You know, Qui-Gon says, I'm not allowed to free slaves. I'm not allowed to come here and free slaves because the Republic mandate is not to get involved in slavery outside the Republic. That was so weird, that moment. Honestly, that... Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, I'm going to, going on a Phantom Menace gripe right now. Um, that struck me as one of the weirdest moments that um, Qui-Gon couldn't free Shmi as well to offer Anakin, a nine-year-old kid, emotional support. So, I mean, do you think that maybe Qui-Gon, even though we tend to revere him as a, you know, like renegade or someone who will speak up against the council when necessary, Mm. like, do you think this shows that he is still part of the system, that he is still going to, you know, lapse into that? What I find interesting is that he did try to free her at first. He did try to free them both. And if you can imagine... It was sort of like a half-hearted attempt. It was. It was. It was, to be fair. But imagine if he had succeeded there and brought them both to Coruscant. It's bad enough you bring this kid, you want to be a Jedi. Okay, you brought his mom as well. A Jedi who are not supposed to have attachments. And I always wonder, had he survived, would he have gone back and freed her? If he, you know, would he have completely disobeyed the council and gone back anyway and helped... Anakin deal with that in a more compassionate way than the Jedi ultimately did. And you've also got the thing, like the real world thing of he he can't take them up because that doesn't serve the story. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, no, but like, you know, when you say like, oh, Qui-Gon tried, well, that's like, you know, oh, she's a slave. I'll try to free her. You can't free her. All right, guess she can't come. On with the story. Like, John, I mean, you can't keep going back to, like, let's try free her again. Let's try this. Because it's like, well, she they have to fail in freeing her. Because if Anakin had a mom, then he wouldn't have killed everyone. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, that's the chain of <laughs> Exactly. So, so you can't really, like, sweat quite on Ginge that much because it's like, he, George Lucas wasn't letting him. Yeah, it is, and it's hard to it is hard to tell sometimes what is just the practicalities of a plot and what is actually a point that he's making. Um, but you know, the, the one I always go back to is the fact that the credits aren't valid out on Tatooine, and that is a convenience of the plot because it means that we have to go through the pod race in order to free Anakin. But it does also make a point at the same time of the the limitations of the Republic. You know, it just does not exist in certain places. But, I, but I, I see what you mean still. It is hard to know what is just plot convenience and what is deliberately in there as a, as a thematic idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Steele, I totally understand that point. And, uh, you know, it's, there's an extent to which you can be nitpicky about these things. And I guess, like, in terms of being not nitpicky on the creator, but rather on the Jedi Order themselves, there are rules and regulations. You can't get married. You can't form attachments. You can't be, you know, Anakin says in Attack of the Clones that compassion is something that's encouraged in the Jedi Order, but it doesn't really seem that way too often. You know, I think he might have just been, you know, like trying to tell Padme, oh yeah, I can fall in love because compassion's allowed. (laughs) So what do you all think of the uh, Jedi Order rules like and how strict they are? Uh, Steel, what do you think? The weird thing was we didn't hear anything about this whole celibacy thing until Attack of the Clones. Right. So that, I always found that, you know, we all take it for granted now. But, you know, through The Phantom Menace, it was like, yeah, it's, um, 
there was no like, is Yoda dating Yaddle? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe COB boys. I, I have no idea didn't, either. Like, didn't Keanu Mundy have like seven wives in one of the comics or something? Am I remembering that right? Yeah. Yeah, for Keanu, yeah. Yeah, for Keanu Mundy, it was allowed because his culture was like super strict on having family, and the Jedi were like, okay, you get an exception. I <laughs> oh, see. This is. This is the thing about Star Wars that annoys me. It's like, okay, well, here's the Jedi code. Don't do not do that. No attachments. Except for this guy and this guy and everyone, everyone. See, like, that's the thing with Obi-Wan. You know, he secretly had this relationship with... Um, Satine. Uh, what's that? Satine, yeah. I, was, I kept going to say Sabine. But um, it's, it's like, so everyone was banging. Like... <laughs> Like no one's obeying these rules, so it it just seems like maybe I, I think maybe Mace Windu was the only one because he he seems like a dude that like hasn't gotten any action for like a few decades. It would explain why he's so angry, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, he's got so, he's got this tension. Like he when he was playing that shape game with like Anakin when he was like seven or eight, mm-hmm. he was like a, like it's like you're playing a kid in a shape game. Why are you playing so aggressively? <laughs> oh my god, Peter. Yeah, it's like Trump skiing with his son. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, okay, now I'm trying to get all this image out of my head. Uh, Mark, <laughs> Mark uh, what was your? I mean, do you think that the Jedi strict rules and regulations? Do you think it helped them be a more effective peacekeeping force, or do you think that it hindered it in the long run? Well, I mean, the, the attachment thing is interesting because I've I'm a, I've always been a big defender of the Jedi when it comes to this. Not necessarily the code you can't get married, but the idea of it. I think that when you actually like strip the prequel trilogy right down, what takes Anakin to the dark side is attachment. What takes him there is he can't let go of mm-hmm. people. He can't let go of his mother. He can't let go of Padme, and that's an important thing in your life that you have to learn to let go of people. And if you go right back to Return of the Jedi, the thing that almost turns Luke to the dark side is when Leia is in danger. When Vader says, "Oh, I'll, I'll go after your sister," that's the thing that almost flips him. And so I think that there's an important message in there. I I think that maybe the rule is too strict. I think it was one of those sort of it's a matter of the heart kind of thing that was too codified. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't enough room for empathy and to allow individuals to sort of find their own way through that, maybe. Um, But I think the intentions of it are right. I still think that Star Wars generally falls down on the the side of selfish, uh, selflessness over selfishness, and I think that's what that comes down to. Right. What I mean, in terms of them being a peacekeeping force, I think the issue is more to do with their relationships to the Senate, and I think mm. the fact that they are not allowed to do anything effectively without the Senate's approval. Um, and I was looking back at this, I was thinking about, there's an episode of The Clone Wars where we actually get the backstory of Sifo Dyas, and what happened to him. Yeah. And he was killed um, having been sent on a mission by Valorum to sort out the Pike Syndicate, so this sort of criminal gang. And you think, okay, well, that's great. Actually, the Republic were sending people out to do this. But then you actually watch the scene, and the reason Valorum sends him there is because there could have been a an underground war on Coruscant. So it is still coming down to self-interest. It is still coming down to, okay, the Jedi need to step in now because we're in danger, because Coruscant's in danger. Not because the Pike Syndicate might be doing terrible things in the Outer Rim. We don't care about that. 
so it, it does seem to me like they can't fully put their ideas into practice mm. because they have tied themselves politically so closely right. to the republic right right that's a very interesting perspective um yeah, I want to move on to parallels that the Jedi have perhaps in our real world, particularly with UN peacekeeping forces. They've proven to be one of the most effective means of resolving uh, conflicts worldwide, not necessarily in terms of full-scale wars, but rather um, small conflict, so, some small conflicts, but they also uh, were proven very effective during the Rwanda genocide, at least towards the end of it, when they were able to you know, do more to help with that catastrophic, horrific event. And the UN peacekeepers have three basic principles, consent of the parties being involved, impartiality, and non-use of force except in self-defense and defense of their mandate. Um, Mark, you noted to me earlier that you see the Jedi living up to these ideals in the Obi-Wan and Anakin comic in the Trespass episode of The Clone Wars. Could you elaborate on this, please? Trespass more so, I think. I I sort of went back to this and looked at it. The the problem we've got at the moment is, at least in the new canon, there's not a lot of stories set before The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, Obi-Wan and Anakin is pretty much the only full story we've got that is about the Jedi, aside from the Phantom Menace that takes place before that. So we don't get to see a lot of the Jedi as peacekeepers before they're warriors. Um, I'm not... Having looked at it again, this is interesting because Obi-Wan and Anakin get involved in a war and they're able to do the Jedi thing of not sort of imposing a solution on people, but engineering a situation where the two sides can sit down and talk and sort of resolve their differences. Right. What's really interesting about this is that Obi-Wan uses the Republic's selfishness in order to achieve that. He pretends that he's located some Tabana gas in the atmosphere and calls in the Republic knowing that they will want that. And so this Republic force comes in and the two sides have to stop fighting while the Republic is there. So Obi-Wan is sort of using the system in a way, um, which is, you know, it, it's, it's practical. It's a mature way of getting through it. But there is a wider issue there, again, of the Jedi acting within this kind of corrupt system. Should they really be doing that? I think Trespass is a better example. Trespass is the Clone Wars episode, which is about the uh, the Pantoran moon. There's basically a territorial dispute on the moon yeah. of Pantora between the Pantorans and the Taos. It, it's, I mean, it's, right. it's a very thinly veiled metaphor for colonialism, effectively. Yeah. But it to me, it kind of shows the Jedi at their best. Obi-Wan and Anakin go there. They don't force anyone into doing this or that. They don't fight other than in self-defense. They get the consent of both the parties, the Tells and the Pantorans. They offer wisdom and guidance. They're impartial over it. Um, And actually, it does resolve the situation in in a peaceful way. So I think that one episode, to me, is the Jedi at their absolute best, which is funny because it takes place right in the middle of the Clone Wars. I remember that episode, and I remember being stricken by, you know, I was sort of conflicted because I knew what Obi-Wan and Anakin were doing was right. Um, You know, like in terms of being impartial as often as they could be, even though they did see egregious actions happening against um, the, I I forget, was it the Pantorans or the other, what what, what were 
the Pantoran chairman was incredibly aggressive yes, and yes. acted as if he owned it, basically. Yes, I, I hated that guy so much. I just wanted yes. them to like punch him or something, but they can't do that because they need to be impartial. They need to hear both sides out um, and you know come to a consensus. So I was saying I was feeling conflicted because I knew what they were doing was right and within the rules, and you do have to have this standard, but at the same time, you know, you got that beckoning of, oh, why don't we just do something quickly? Why don't we just mm-hmm. resolve this issue immediately and have, you know, some sort of sense of justice for this oppressed people? Uh, Steele, did you watch this episode of Clone Wars? I did watch it, but I'm, I would have to um, give it a rewatch. I, I'm not a big, I haven't done like laps around the Clone Wars uh, cartoon. In, in fact, like the first, when I, th- I was first watching it, once we got to the shark people, I was, um, <laughs> I, I, I had to swim up to the top of the ocean and take a breath for a little bit. And then, yeah, yeah, it was, it was season six got me back into it. I, I watched that on Netflix. Season six was great. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll go back and watch it all. And yeah, the <laughs> God bless those shark people. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell our listeners that, you know, if you haven't watched Clone Wars, both Stephen and I highly, highly encourage it. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but it can be quite a commitment in my own personal opinion, as Steele has just demonstrated talking about shark people. Moving yeah, on. yeah. But, but if, yeah. if you do like to see your heroes captured every week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. See, I grew up with, you know, I, I grew up watching classic Doctor Who as well, so I'm used to that. Capture escape, capture escape, capture escape every week. That's fine. Uh, but it's Star Wars. We still love it. Um, <laughs> moving on. So, you know, like the Jedi uh, fight during the Clone Wars, they uh, ultimately win the war. But, you know, then Order 66 happens. They're all, you know, like blown out. They're all like they're all dead, basically. They're all killed. Um, but I'm curious of this hypothetical of. You know, if it wasn't Obi-Wan and Luke and Yoda as the last Jedi around the original trilogy, or Luke as the last Jedi after Return of the Jedi, do you two think the Jedi Order would have been able to prevent the First Order? Like, for example, where was Luke during Empire's End and Bloodline? And did they, why didn't he, did he associate his Jedi with the New Republic? Did Yoda talk to him about the mistakes of the past? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, you need to give me a few months before I answer those questions. I think. <laughs> it's it's so hard to know whether, like, what, what was, you know, how much has Luke talked to Yoda since Return of the Jedi? Like, it, that's a, a really hard thing to do, right? Or, or 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 to to get like it's such a big leap of I think this or I think that. Mm-hmm. Like, we've got no actual information on it. Um, I don't know. I, I think the whole thing with the First Order was that it's like the Republic was lulled into, um, you know, a casualness. Mm. You know, it was sort of like, yeah, it's it's that's done now. You know, kind of, I don't know, like if you want the, like people, you know, like white people going, oh, you know, that racism, that's solved. That's done. Mm-hmm. We got rid of that. And uh, that's worked out well in the last month. So, uh, and, and that's not an American problem either. That's, a, that's, a, that's an Australian problem. That's an English problem. It's a European problem is that 
you know, we, we, we think because in our bubble we've made these, um, you know, steps forward, but there are these things bubbling underneath. So I think that's where the first order got its leg up. And could the Jedi stop them? I don't know. I, I think the Jedi are going to stop them. I really love that allegory, by the way, with what's going on in the real world, that sense of complacency, which, you know, just step in the real world for a second. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people are waking up to, uh, you know, the real evils of racism right now. Um, Mark, what about you? Do you think that the Luke's Jedi could have prevented the First Order? You know, like if it did it have to be as big as the old Jedi Order? Uh, what do you think? It's it, it's hard to imagine me. When I think of the First Order, I sort of think that there's two sides to it. There's this side that was the Imperial military that went and hid away for a few decades and built itself up again. And I can't imagine that even a thousand Jedi would have been enough to take that down. Mm. Um, maybe where they could have helped would have been in the Senate and around the time of Bloodline. Could they have helped people come to some, you know, the populace and the centrists come to a few more compromises? Could that, their wisdom have sort of help that situation a little bit possibly but we know that there were certain people that were sort of moving things in the background that one way or another the first order was going to happen one way or another they were going to break away or they were going to take power so i don't know i don't know it's hard it's hard to know i mean it's funny just going back to what you were just saying about about you know having to repeat this fight against racism and, and fascism and, and so on. Um, it's a, it, it's something that you can never get complacent about. You can never assume that that battle is won because it will always come back. And it's funny, Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter just a couple of weeks ago brought up a tweet he did last year, I think, saying that when they were planning for The Force Awakens, he was like, oh, we're really doing space fascists again? Is that relevant anymore? Surely, you know. And two years later, he's like, yeah, okay. Yep. yep. <laughs> Exactly. It's, uh, you know, when I first saw The Force Awakens, my I thought of uh, The First Order as being, I said this in a previous episode, as being like ISIS, like ISIL, and have with the ideology of neo-Nazis mm-hmm. or something. Um, and uh, it's terrifying to see like how they could, you know, something like that. I mean, there's a, there's a youthfulness. Really, yeah. Yeah, there's a youth, and you talked about this on a podcast recently. There's a youthfulness and an anger, a fury that's at the heart of it, and it is radicalized young. And that's what Kylo Ren is. He's a radicalized, angry young man. Um, and ironically, he was going to be part of this new Jedi Order to presumably protect the Republic. But oh, that's I, I just like had an idea. What if Luke's new Jedi Order, and while he was trying to train Kylo Ren, that he was tr- in trying to avoid repeating the mistakes of the past he kept them too separate from politics at the time and thus it led to kylo ren's radicalization or something you know what i mean there could be some sort of allegory in there in that you need to be engaged politically i don't know i have wondered i have wondered about that because he's not present in empire's end so this is the big the final decisive battle between the republic and the empire and he's not there He's off looking for Jedi trees or whatever else he's doing in the comic books. So he's not fighting. He doesn't want to be a warrior for the Republic. That's what I read from that. And in Bloodline, no one in the Senate's got any clue what he's doing. They're all like, well, where's your brother? What is he up to? No one knows. And they're actually very suspicious of him because of that. And I did wonder, you know, one of the things that's Anakin's downfall in the end is he wants to be the one in control that's going to put the universe in order. Right? He wants to fix everything and he wants to put it exactly the way he 
wants it. For a while, I wondered if maybe that was Ben's problem as well. Maybe Luke's Jedi weren't hands-on enough for him. Maybe he did want to get his lightsaber out and kill all the bad guys, and that wasn't what Luke was into. Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. But when you say it's an allegory, who do you think is laying that in there? In terms of the writers or directors? Yeah. Um, I could very much imagine Ryan Johnson, you know, being fully cognizant of the political landscape we're in, trying to input some of that. And as we know, he had a role in Bloodline. He gave some tidbits to Claudia Gray. Um, I think, for example, the napkin bombing was his idea. I think a couple of other things maybe in there. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of what was in Bloodline is going to set up what we see in The Last Jedi. I think that the timescales as well, I get, I always assumed like way before this book came out that Ben had turned to the dark side quite a long time ago. Um, And Bloodline, it it happened literally within the last five years before, you know, he was 25 when he turned to the dark side. It was way after. Um, I thought it had been, I thought it probably coincided around the time with Ray being left on Jakku, but it didn't. It was like 10 years after that. That was a real surprise. And I wonder how much of that came from Ryan Johnson sort of defining that, that timeline. I think it totally did. Um, all right. Well, I think this is going to do it for our overall talk about the Jedi Order and their uh, role in the galaxy. We're running up against time. And uh, thank you both so much for joining me to talk on this. Have you got any concluding thoughts about the Jedi Order and, uh, you know, whether they were effective or not? Like, Steele, what are your thoughts? I, I think as a, for a viewer, it's, it's frustrating to watch like you had such a idolized or idealized view of what the Jedi would be like when you watch, you know, a new hope and Empire Strikes Back return of the Jedi. And then to have them sort of bogged down by all that stuff, all the, the politics and stuff, it was, it was disappointing. Much like in Rogue One, when the rebellion was debating whether they should go help or not. I, I found that a little bit, um, yeah, like a, a bit of a bummer. It's just like, come on, rebellion, rebel. <laughs> yeah, like, the, like the like the line from the deleted scene. Yes. It's not that deleted. We still remember. Um, but like, there's. I, I think having them sort of like intertwined with the Republic was a good idea, except that the Republic was was rotten, and you you know you had Darth Sidious leading it and. Before that, he had him sort of maneuvering his way up and making it, you know, as rotten as possible, like, on the way up. So once he's up there, he can control it all. Totally. Totally. But but, but my one takeaway is, should have worn the sweet Jedi robes of Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Yes, yes. I don't think I ever mentioned to you, Return of the Jedi is my favorite film, and Luke Return of the Jedi is my favorite character. Well, tied with Rey, that is, but still, like, I, I totally feel it. I want Luke to ignite the green, man. I want him to ignite the green. Please, please. Uh, Mark, what are your, like, concluding thoughts? Real fast, sorry. What I would say is that, you know, for all the, the, the way that we criticized the Jedi, they weren't effective. They kept peace for a thousand years. There was no galactic war for a thousand years. If someone would come in and say right now that they would prevent another world war for a thousand years, I think we'd probably take that. Oh, totally. That's a very good note to end on. We're grateful for you, the Jedi Order. We've criticized you mercilessly, but you kept peace for a thousand years. So thank you. 
And uh, now we are going to move on to reading some listener reviews. Um, we haven't been reading reviews in the past couple of episodes. I'm so sorry, guys, but I really want to make up for lost time here. And, uh, I, you know, since we have three guests for three reviews, I'm wondering if y'all would indulge me in each of you reading one. What do you say? Sure. sure. So, Steele, would you like to read the uh, review by our mutual friend, Bobby Roberts? Oh, oh my God, what an honor to read the work <laughs> of Seattle's own. Not Seattle's own, he's from um, Portland. Portland. Yes. I get him confused because I went there on the same trip. Nice. But um, Bobby Roberts is my, uh, no, I was going to say my second favorite thing in Portland, but <laughs> he might not be that high. Stumptown coffee in the iced coffee, that's that's easily my favorite thing. Nice. So nice. He's, he's, he's somewhere in the top five of those. All right. So, um, and I have to actually say, Bobby, um, he went on, which I encourage all listeners of all Star Wars podcasts, he, he went on a bit of a review spree of late. Um, he hit up my podcast, and I know he hit up a few others as well. And, 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 and I don't know, I sort of find a lot with these reviews, you click on, you know, you get a negative one, and you can click on it to see what else people have reviewed. And, and quite often, they've only reviewed things they don't like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like you got to lead your life a little bit more positively, totally. and and find a few things that you do like, and write some nice words about them as well to balance it out. I agree. But here we go, Bobby Roberts, the two-word answer to a political fandom. Five stars, Bobby Roddick. Sorry, Bobby Roberts, PDX. What do you think the PDX stands for? I have no idea. Portland. Something, something, I don't know. <laughs> I love it how something, something starts with both D and X. That's it does, great. yeah. Okay. <laughs> People, for whatever mis- weird misguided reasons, love to push the notion that Star Wars is nothing more than superficial escapism that is ill-suited as a springboard to topics of real-world importance. Beltway Banthers is the two-word refusion of that incorrect notion. The beauty of podcasts is how specific they can be. And while other shows also know how to definitely blend the best parts of the fictional universe and the reflections of the real one, Beltway Banthers dedicates whole shows to that aspect and the results are illuminating. Star Wars is political, always has been, and Beltway Banthers is here to ensure it always will be to everyone's benefit. Now that is a um, yeah. That's quite a, re- and and I, I sometimes you read out like a review like that, and other listeners to this show don't feel the pressure. R- Bobby likes to read and hear himself speak. You can just. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but but even so, Bobby, uh, if you're listening, thank you so, so much for your incredibly kind review. It was just, uh, I mean, like when I read it for the first time, you know, because I know how much Bobby cares about politics and obviously Star Wars and it just like, um, it, it was really touching. Um, okay, Mark, would you like to read the next one? This is by a new friend of ours on Twitter, Brad Tracy, even though the uh, username says differently. <laughs> oh, Okay, I will indeed. I thought that maybe there were a lot of Jedi mind tricks on um, (laughs) on here, but that's okay. So, this review, Loving Star Wars and Real Life Politics. Just finished listening to my first Beltway Beltway Banters podcast entitled The Politics of Rogue One. 
First off, great tribute to Carrie Fisher. The main segment was also very well done, hitting on several key points of the film. Even if I disagreed with some of the sentiments, they were still extremely well articulated. Nothing belligerent. Loved listening to this on my way into work. Highly recommended. Brad, thank you so, so much for your kind review, and I hope you're enjoying the rest of your Beltway Bantha's journey. And I am going to read the last one, which we just got, I think, uh, two days ago. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not being selfish by giving myself the shortest review. I just wanted to give our guests, like, you know, like an Apple opportunity to read and uh, as well. So um, this is by Starkath, uh, and he's a five-star review, and he says, You must have me in mind, dot, dot, dot. I continue to be amazed that such a podcast custom made for me exists. Great blend of Star Wars and political nerdery. Well, thank you so much, Starcath, and I think that you'll find when the Beltway Banthas family that you're not so, um, you know, individual in that regard of loving politics and Star Wars. So thank you both for reading the reviews with me. I promise I did not mean this to be such a self-indulgent, congratulatory thing on the podcast. <laughs> I just felt like I really needed to read these reviews to thank our listeners so much. And uh, to other listeners out there, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us so much uh, get up in the rankings and gets more people to find the show. But even... If, uh, as Stephen has noted before, you don't even really have to write a review. You just leave us the stars. We love stars, and that'll like pull us up in the rankings as well. So thank you all so much uh, for those who have written reviews and for those who do plan on doing so in the future. And now to one of our most treasured segments, Bantha Fodder, where each of us will just discuss uh, for a couple of minutes whatever is on our mind, Star Wars, politics, or otherwise, and... Steel and Mark as our honored guests. I would love for you two to go first. How about we go Steel and then Mark and then I'll finish up with my Bantha fodder. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess maybe I will fod on about. <laughs> is that a new term that I've just invented for your show? Oh my god! The, thank you. <laughs> let's fod on. Okay. Um, it's it's I like I find this the whole concept of this show you know, very interesting and like about politics and, and, and Star Wars. And it's, I, I was listening to a show the other day with someone that I vehemently disagree with um, about his views about like, I, I don't even know how this dude has got like people supporting him in that he came out in this segment and just said that he's against the gay lifestyle and all this stuff. But yeah, I don't know. He does this podcast about geek culture and stuff. And he was like, I'm so sick of social justice warriors ruining star Wars. Star Wars is it's, it's about, it's not about social justice warriors. It's about the big issues, good versus evil. And I'm like, what are you saying? Mm. Like, like, what do you think? Like, I, first of all, the whole social justice warrior thing, it's, it's such a weird thing. Like it's, it's such a weird diss. Cause it's yeah. like, it's like going to a basketball player. Hey, you ball dunker. Like, like it's sort <laughs> of a compliment. If you are a ball dunker, like it's, it's such a weird thing, but he was going on about, and like, he just wants to have fun. 
Why are people getting in the way of his fun? And I, I'm, I'm, I've got to watch my words here so I don't send you into explicit. But <laughs> there's sometimes in life where it's beep fun, where <laughs> like hmm. things interrupt your fun. And as a white heterosexual person, to say having like a gay character in a movie or a book or a disabled person in a book or or a movie, um, like that's ruining your fun. Well, that's like your privilege as like a white male fan. It's like, well, to have anyone else represented in these films, that's interrupting my fun. And just it, the way he was saying this was such a whiny, crybaby tone. Mm-hmm. It was it was pathetic, and he didn't even like it's 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 be like fandom the the selfish element of it at times. Like, and, and not so much about like, I've got all the toys or I'm a scalper or that sort of stuff, but just the pure selfishness over the storytelling is, it's, it's, it's baffling and it's totally against what Star Wars is about. Like the whole lesson, like Luke Skywalker taught me that if you get great power, help other people with it. Uh-huh. Don't take the easy path and rule the galaxy. That's like that's like. Have you not seen the film? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I tweeted this a while ago, and it sort of it, it sort of resonated with people. It's like I it, it baffles me how people can watch the Star Wars movies over and over and not pick up on its moral messages. Mm-hmm. Like, right. like, how do you know? the the code the serial number of Han Solo's gun, but like you're sick of social justice warriors in Star Wars. What what do you, what, what do you, when I think of social justice warrior, I just think of Princess Leia. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So it's it's baffling. I've done fodding. <laughs> that was one of the most passionate sincere fodders I think we've ever had and yeah Steele I think you said a lot of stuff that honestly really needed to be said and you know there is definitely a limit to escapism that was a really great bantha fodder Steele thank you so very much uh Mark what's your bantha fodder that was that was some great fodding I'm not sure how I'd follow up on that what I'll say is um the thing that I've been thinking about today it's fourth Friday this week and um, Target have put out a really nice little commercial of, I think it's called Bring Your Ray Game. And it's basically, a, you know, these these young girls sort of being inspired by Ray and dressed as Ray. And it just sort of occurred to me, as I saw this on Twitter, just how important this character is mm. and potentially a, such a, an influential character. And it's it's fantastic to me. I mean, to me, Ray was absolutely the best thing about The Force Awakens, right? She was the thing that made me leave that film feeling inspired about it. Um, and it's just, you know, having been at Celebration Europe last year and seeing all these young girls dressed as Ray, really into Star Wars, 
And, you know, my wife, Megan, who I do the Jedi Archives podcast with, you know, she was got into Star Wars at a much younger age than I did. And, you know, she's been waiting a whole life for this, basically. She's been waiting a whole life for um, a woman to be the hero, the protagonist, the Jedi of, of a Star Wars trilogy. And it is just fantastic to see this through her eyes as well um, and just how inspiring it is. And, and it's just, I just feel like we're so, we're so lucky. This is the golden age of Star Wars. And um, it's a really, I was genuinely, I know it's a bit of, you know, corporate advertising, whatever, but it, it was a really moving little video. You know, I, I love you saying that so much. Um, as you know, Ray is my favorite fictional character of all time tied with Luke and uh, what she's doing for little girls and little boys you know, seeing a like amazing mm-hmm. female hero, what she's doing in terms of that sort of representation, I love so much. And Mark, thank you for that. That was like a wonderful to hear Bantha fodder. So mine uh, is going a little on the negative side. Surprise, surprise, Suara has a negative Bantha fodder. <laughs> I, guys, I am so shocked after this weekend. Our president, Trump, uh, pardoned this horrible, horrible man, Sheriff Arpeo, who is basically guilty of torturing Latino communities uh, all throughout Texas and his county, and just someone who is so plainfully guilty of going against the Constitution, of someone who inflicts cruel and unusual punishment on suspects or those he has detained, and it's just So when I saw that Trump had actually pardoned him, that he actually abused this power, it it was it was horrifying in so many ways. It sent a message to racists and to white supremacists in this country that you can break the law. You can go ahead and attack minorities. The president has got your back. And not only that, as so eloquently stated on Pod Save America today, a great podcast I highly recommend about American politics. Like, this is an impeachable offense. This is a president using his pardon power to benefit a political ally. It's something that James Madison, one of our founding fathers, said that should be completely off the table and should be automatically uh, impeachable. And I think that what we're seeing, because it, it does seem like such a small thing, this one sheriff in this one town who's doesn't have any significance for the nation at large, but still it does because it's, this is about our constitution and how the president has so egregiously abused his power here. I'm, I'm just waiting for the day when congressional leaders, when Republican leaders will step up and say, this is wrong. We are going to not let you do this anymore. But instead, you see very muted responses saying that, oh, we disagree with the president. Okay, great. What are you going to do next? It's for the sake of our democracy, I implore our listeners to write and call Congress, your Congress people, to let them know that this is not something that should stand. It is something that threatens the integrity of our democracy. It something that we need to act on. And especially in this age, right after Charlottesville, as Stephen Ross and I discussed, 
where white supremacists are feeling emboldened seeing something like this sends a very dangerous message to both those who would seek to inflict harm and those who would be the victims. That's my bantha fodder. Um, again, like relatively serious about the issues in the world. Steel, like you said, we don't really shy away from that here on Beltway Banthas. We <laughs> just like, yeah, we just talk about the real world is all. So, yeah. But thank you both so much for coming on. And uh, where can uh, people yeah, find you? Yeah, and I just have to say, about the whole escape thing and stuff. Sure. It's, I don't know, like, and, and why these podcasts are so great. Like, sometimes people need an escape to know, but also to know that they've got friends out there as well. Totally. Do you know what I mean? And I, you know, I, I think it's important to like, you know, that you mention that stuff that like that people that, you know, maybe have, uh, you know, they have a hard time because of their, their sexual orientation or their race or, you know, all that stuff that, that they can listen to a podcast where people are speaking freely and it's, oh, that person's got my back. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not like everyone's not against me. Like, like right. this person is, is like an ally or whatever word you want to use. So, um, you know, you know, there's, 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 there's many prongs to this, this, this word escape. And it, and it, it it's, it's a word that really annoys me at the moment. Mm. And because it, I, I find it to be, it's, it's, it's normally used in an, a selfish connotation. And I, I would like you know, I think Star Wars is an escape in that, like, it's a world where all this bad stuff happens, but there's great people that are going to fight for you totally. and are going to try and make you free. Totally. And, and and I think fandom's the same thing. There's going to be people that are going to want to, like, put you in your place. And then hopefully there's going to be other people with voices that are going to fight for your place as well. And, and I think it's important for people to hear that. Maybe those people are like our own real-world Jedi Order, you know, being like uh, peacekeepers in fandom, perhaps. Okay, that is going to do it for episode... I, 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 yeah. I, I, sorry, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, of like, course not. Like, of like, course. Like, like, like Kidster at best. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, let me uh, redo that real quick. Uh and that does it for episode 38 of Beltway Banthas, Galactic Peacekeepers. Thank you so much, Steel Saunders and Mark Eldridge, for joining me on the podcast today. Where can people find you online and find your work? Steel, where can people find you? Um, probably the easiest way is if you're on Twitter, it is at Steel Wars. That's where all my Star Wars tweeting is done. It is S-T-E-E-L-E. W-A-R-S. I do two podcasts a week. One of them generally is an interview episode. We do about 90-minute in-depth interview with a Star Wars fan or contributor of note. Um, we just had a couple of great ones up. We went through the entire EW article with its author, Anthony Bresnikan. Great and episode, got a- by the way. Mm. 
Oh, thank you. And we went like a lot of backstories and extra information about his conversations with Ryan Johnson and uh, Mark Hamill and Daisy Ridley, which sort of uh, expand on, you know, some some conclusions people were jumping to about their quotes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one before that was a live one at Nerd Melt in LA with Kyle Newman, which it'll get you rethinking Return of the Jedi, that's for sure. And then uh, on the weekends we do a call-in show where you guys can either uh, call in or Skype and it's sort of like talkback radio for Star Wars fans and we have like a guest co-host every week and it's super fun. So check out, I I podcast a lot. So if you want uh, a lot of Star Wars talk with a a big range of, uh, of guests, then check out the Steel Wars podcast on iTunes or wherever podcasts are downloaded freely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mark, how about you? Where can people find you? Okay, I'm on Twitter at Qui-Gon Smith. So that's Qui-Gon Smith, all one word. Um, I'm also on the Jedi Archives podcast, which I do with Megan, my wife, um, which is at Jedi Archives pod. We're pretty new. We've, I think we've just put episode eight out um and our whole thing is we thought we'd we'd start with the phantom menace and then go through the star wars canon in roughly sort of chronological order and talk about the stories the characters the politics the things that interested us so that's what we're doing at the moment and i write for 1138 so you can find me on there as well awesome and y'all can find me on Twitter at SwaraSaleh1. That's S-W-A-R-A-S-A-L-I-H-1. You can find me, you can find Beltway Banthas on Twitter at Beltway Banthas. You can find my co-host Stephen on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent 89. That's Stephen with a P-H. And uh, for some of my other Star Wars fandom stuff, I have a, face- a Facebook group dedicated to Star Wars and music called Sounds from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. It's a private group, so just request to join and I'll add you. And yeah, that'll do it, guys, for this episode of Beltway Banthas. Thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you, always. Laugh it up, fuzzball.